we've been going through the book of Ephesians together in this series called We Are. And today concludes our first three chapters we've gotten through. We're going to be finishing up today. And so as we finish up this series, I hope that uh, you've been inspired, not just inspired to do something nice, but really that you've been inspired to really realize that you have been, as a follower of Christ, been united with Christ. And that's something that has been a huge theme. We're going to talk about that today also. And then as we, uh, Mike mentioned about the, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike mentioned about the lunch next week. So we won't be having any Ephesians stuff going on. But uh, the following Sunday, March 3rd, we're going to be starting a new series called Movement. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4 through 6. Because the beautiful thing about Paul, if you read any of his writings, is he always took typically the first half of his letter to a specific church and gave theology, what this is this way. And then, as you all know, if we get it vertically, we can work on it horizontally. And that's what we're going to look at in our series called Movement. What to do with what we've learned throughout this whole series we are. And we are united to Christ by faith in Christ through his work on the cross. That's how it plays out. And so as we look here today, one of the things that I, I was praying about, I'm like, I, I was really stumped with this last passage. Because if, you're, if you've been in church and if you're familiar with, with, with the Bible, one of the biggest texts a lot of times that is preached is the very end of chapter 3, where it says, now to him who can do it better will be more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I thought, man, I could just focus on that. But I was like, I can't focus all on that because we need to really put it into context what we're looking at today. And so what I really want to share with you today is at the core. That's the title of the message is simply at the core. Well, what do you mean by that, Jeff? I want us to begin to wrap our minds and hearts around understanding if you are a follower of Christ, here's the beautiful thing is that you can understand through our text today what God has in store for us. You know, we began this series where in chapter 1, Paul wrote to the church, he said, you have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so because of that, we can understand today and leaving here today. Remember, it's not about information we're getting here today. It's about transformation of our hearts and our lives. And so what we want to understand is what God has for those of us who believe. And not only that, uh, I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, I've come up with my own ideas of what that looks like. And it doesn't work. You know, I come up with what God should do for me. Have you ever been there? You're like, God, here's what I'm going to do. Can you bless it? Yeah, it doesn't work that way. And we've seen that all throughout our series. But here's what we can do. What Christ has done. Remember, 36 times Paul says in Christ in the book of Ephesians. And so in Christ, we have everything that we'll ever need. Now, you may be thinking, well, well I'll get them bills paid. Maybe, maybe not. But what we're talking about is on a spiritual level that you've been getting every spiritual blessing in who? Oh, wow, y'all are on today. I love it, love it, love it. All right, so here's what we're going to do. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at that. It's going to be on the screen as well. Uh, we also, I mean, we got many ways you can look at this. We have it on the screen. We have Bibles in the back. Uh, and also, if you brought one, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. As you're turning there, what we're going to see here is this is Paul's final prayer in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And he concludes with this prayer specifically for <clears throat> the church. Why did he pray this prayer? He was praying for their spiritual wellness and what God can do if they lean into him. Okay? So what God can do if they lean into him and for their spiritual wellness. Let's take a look here. We're going to break this up in three sections. So the first is here in verse 14 through 16. 
Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. We're going to stop there. We're going to look at these, these verses. In verse 14, Paul begins by saying, for this reason. Or if you've ever seen in the Bible where it says, therefore, you with me? So like for this reason, therefore, what it's saying is that in light of everything you've just heard, I'm saying for this reason. Paul did that in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, where he said, for this reason. Because he was speaking of everything that was talked about in chapter 2. What was talked about in chapter 2? The bringing together of the Jews and the Gentile believers to become one, to be the church there in Ephesus. And so Paul's saying, for this reason, God's plan for the Gentile was this. Salvation was only available to Israel at one point, but God, through Christ, made it available for all. So you with me there? Okay, so... What I love here is that Paul says, for this reason, I kneel to pray. See, a, a typical Jew would stand to pray. Like you could, you could Google the, the, the wall in Jerusalem where they pray, they'll be standing. And so the reason why Paul is stating that he's kneeling is Paul is saying, I'm coming to a posture of submission. I have a deep desire to pray to my heavenly father. Not saying that if you stood that your prayers aren't, you know, as important, but Paul was kneeling down before the king. See, if you kneel before a king, you're submitting to that king. So are you with me there? Okay, so he had a great desire to pray. So he goes on in verse 15 and he says, not only was God, the God of the Jew and the Gentile believer in Ephesus, he's also the God of who? Everyone who has believed in him, past, present, and future. So that's a pretty big God, right? That's what I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking like God is not minuscule. He's not minute. He's not small. He's, he's big. He's ginormous. He is amazing. He's, you know, you could give all these beautiful descriptions of who he is and, and that we couldn't even, we couldn't even give enough adjectives. That's who our God is today. And he's also father of the church. Again, we have said throughout this series, you and I have brothers and sisters in all different parts of the world, all over the world. Brothers and sisters who by faith receive Christ, and we, we will see them one day. We don't even know who they are. But yet this is telling us, Paul's reminding us again, you have a big daddy. And see, for some of us, like, I don't know where you are. I, I had a good relationship with my dad. And, and a lot of times we take what our relationship with or lack thereof with an earthly father, we attribute it to a heavenly father. And we say, well, my dad was this way, so God's got to be that way. God is completely opposite of that. And, and even, even if you had a great relationship with your dad like I did, my dad still had his flaws. My Heavenly Father has no flaws. My Heavenly Father is perfect in everything that he does and who he is. And so that's what's beautiful to remember that whatever that looks like, even for you today, you can lean into your Heavenly Father because he's perfect and he's eternal. Our, our, our earthly fathers, they're going to they're gonna fade away. Like, I, I'm a dad of two. I'm going to fade away eventually. And so what we need to understand is he is good, he is perfect, and he is eternal. And that's what Paul is getting the church to say, we have a big God that we live for. Verse 16, Paul is asking God that, uh, what his prayer was. He said, would you please, God, would you strengthen the church at the core of their being? At the core of their being. What, what, is, what are we talking about? Our, our, their souls. Would you, would you strengthen them in their spirit? Because, listen, what they're going to encounter, what they're going to face, as we've talked about through once again throughout our series, they would literally went through persecution. 
they were losing their lives. Ultimately, they were losing their lives. They were losing land. They were losing jobs, all due to the fact that they were following Jesus. But God promises for you and I his love, and he promises us his glorious riches. Again, spiritual blessings. We got to think on the we got to think on the eternal. We got to think on the spiritual. We like the temporary and we like the material, but that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying that these spiritual blessings that God gives to us is not just for the individual. They're not just for me. They're not just for you. They're for the church. So this is what we all share in. He wants the church to know that if you are an individual in the church at Ephesus or if you're an individual at the church at 1010, don't detach from the body. Just don't. Why is that? Because, listen, do you receive strength and encouragement and serve with each other and challenge one another when you're on your own? Unless you're talking in the mirror. You know what I mean? Like, if you, It doesn't work that way. What Paul is saying is that you do this together. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 say this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity... Feel like Mr. T coming on, like I pity the fool, right? I pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Paul's saying, don't detach. Like if you if you think, you know, in your head you're going, it's better for me to be alone. No one will understand. No one will, that, that's why the importance of what we do at Life Group is doing life together deeply. That's why that, that quick little slogan on there is better together. If we do it alone, we'll always burn out. We'll always come to always needing more. But he's saying, don't detach from the body. Church, just remember this. You need to remain connected to other believers. That's where it's at. Whether it's through this on Sunday, whether it's small group, whether it's connecting one-to-one with someone and, not, and, and doing discipleship, like just building into people, that's what we want to be as a church. We said at the beginning from 1010, we want to be a church that's disciples who make disciples. Now, it may take a little bit longer than we would like it to happen. That's okay. But what we're saying is is that that's how you do life. We do it deeply together. Not only that, he says, church, if you cut yourself off from the body of believers, you're going to miss out on all that God has for you in the church. You with me? Because a lot of times we come to church and say, what can I get out of it? And that's, that's the wrong way of thinking. It's saying, how can I serve God with what he's given me? That's what we're seeing here. You know, when we talk about this idea of, of Paul praying for at the core their being, who they are, I thought about uh, beginning to go to the chiropractor. And when I was first started going to the chiropractor, true story, I literally had to pull myself from the headboard up. My back was so jacked up that I literally had to pull myself out. And then my wife began to work for a chiropractor. She says, you know, you get free chiropractic care. I'm like, all right, I'm in that. Because my mindset was like, oh, they just want me to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. They just want my money, want my money. And here's what the chiropractor said. He goes, listen, a lot of people think that way. And then what I do is as I evaluate them, they look good on the outside. But it's on the inside that they're all messed up. I thought, man, I think I'm going to use that sometime. (laughs) Are you with me? This is what we're talking about. Like it's from the inside out. That's how we're strengthened. And that's what he does. Just like a chiropractor began working on me, like I tell you, like I don't have that pain anymore like I used to. I don't have to pull myself up out of bed. But he had to begin to do some work that I didn't see what was going on. You know the only way that I got to see what was going on with my back? X-rays. Because he had to examine what was going on inside. That's what God does with us. He says, you want to be strengthened, it's from the inside. 
We all want it here. We want to be able to touch it. We want that guarantee. He says, my guarantee is my spirit that's in you. So listen, the first thing that we see here in this text is that um, God's spirit strengthens. God's spirit strengthens. Not you and me and our self-will and all this stuff. It's God's spirit, his Holy Spirit that does that. Colossians 1.11 says, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Think about that when Paul wrote to that church. Think about, I'm, I'm going to have asked that God strengthens you with his power so that you can endure. I mean, could you imagine when we, a couple of weeks ago, watching about Pastor Fasal and hearing that verse, the persecuted church in Pakistan, could you imagine what's that like? They would be like, yep, that's what we need. We need to be strengthened and you and I need to be strengthened too. So who's the source of your strength? Is it you? Are you relying on you? Or are you gonna allow God's spirit to work on your heart and on your life? It's through his Holy Spirit that God gives us the strength and he has given us each other as the church to do this life together. So that's what we see here. Paul begins to pray for the Ephesians and he's saying, listen, it's God's Holy Spirit that gives you strength that you need to live this life. Let's continue in verse 17. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all its fullness of God. See, by faith in Jesus Christ at the core, that's who we are. We're followers of Christ. That's at the core. That's who we are. Paul's prayer is that the church would enjoy deep fellowship with Jesus. That's what he wanted. Again, with Jesus and with others. That's what his prayer was. Paul reminds the church, here, here's what he does. He says, listen, Christ's love is like soil that a plant goes in. Think about that for a second. Because then what happens? The plant takes root into the ground. Have you ever put fake flowers in dirt? Have you ever put real flowers? You know that green foam that you stick your fake flowers in? You don't put real flowers in the foam, do you? Just like you don't put fake flowers in dirt. There's no root that will attach. And so this is what he's saying. This is what God's love is like. It's like soil that you ground yourself in and you deeply root yourself into. The Apostle John says in 1 John 1, 3, he says, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard speaking of Christ, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was the, with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is where it's at. Again, who, you, who are you going to, to root in? If your source is Christ, then you're going to be rooted in Christ. And it's about that. Verse 18, Paul prays that the church would have a clear understanding of God's love for them. He uses four words, doesn't he? Let's look again. It says that you may have power together, with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how, you can say it, it's long, ready? How wide, how long, how high and deep. So wide, long, high and deep. We're going with my translation. Um, wide, long, high and deep. He wanted them to understand that. He wanted them to grasp that. One Bible commentator speaking of God's love to the church at Ephesus, it says, God love, God's love continues to kick uh, God's love continues the length of our lives. It reaches the depths of our discouragement and despair. It covers the breadth 
of our own experiences, and it rises to the heights of our celebration. That's how deep his love is for us. That's how long, that's how wide, that's how high his love is for you and I. That's powerful. That, it just goes beyond, once again, if we have a big God, then his love for us is big as well. It goes beyond comprehension. Verse 19, Paul, Paul finishes out. He's saying, listen, here's the deal. This love that I'm speaking of is not just here. It's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. That's where it's at. It's at the core. Remember, we said that love is, is in the world's terms, we view love as a feeling. Like, I just feel, I feel in love, or, or I love tacos, or you know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, what he's talking about, this love was active, and that love went to the cross. And when, when he went to the cross, he died for the sin of the world. That was love. I don't think I'd do that for anyone. And yet Christ did that. It said that even while we still were enemies of God, even while we still hated God, he still died for us. That's love. That's love. And not only is that love, let me tell you the, the last thing about love with God, and we're going to move on. But even after Jesus rose from the dead, okay, the beautiful thing is, is he, he reconnects with a guy by the name of Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Jesus, you know I love you. He says, no, well, then here's what you need to do. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. And he tells him to do another, another thing. And he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I do. Come on. Like, if I'm Peter, I'm getting a little frustrated. But the love that was shown to Peter, God used that. Because after Christ went back to heaven, there's a time called Pentecost. And Peter preached the gospel in such a way that people said, what do we need to do? Peter said, you need to repent and believe. It says in 3,000 people were added that day to the church. All because of the love that was extended to Peter. All because love was extended to you and I. That we can go and, and extend that love to others. You know, this is what I love about God's love. It's limitless because it took on the worst of sinners. Me and you. Not only that, is that his love is with us in our joys, our sorrows, our pains, and our triumphs. And finally, to know the love of God is to know God. It's who he is. It's one of his characteristics. It's one of his traits. It's God is love. And that's who he is in all the fullness of it. You know, when I think about the love of Christ, you know, you ever, you ever remember those commercials on TV? They're like, but wait, there's more. That's what Christ's love is for us. Just when we think we got it, he's like, but wait, there's more. There's always more. Why? The second thing in your, in your notes is this, is that God's love is complete. God's love is complete. Paul in Romans 8.38 says this, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Let me say that again. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If you are in Christ, there's nothing that can separate you from his love. Not the world's definition of love, not our culture's definition of what it means to have love, but God's love in Christ for us. We will never be separated from that. That's an amen, church. I'm just, okay, I'm throwing that out there. Okay, good. So, so, so when we talk about God's love is complete, the question for us is then is how are you investing in Christ? 
How are you investing in him? I mean, we talk about this every week. It's just being in his presence, having sustainable, intentional time. But again, when you think about the love of Christ, oh, wait, there's more. You know, here's the beautiful thing that we can know about God's love is that you can never be lost to God's love. Remember, nothing can never separate. That means that you can never be, what? Lost to God's love. Because when you know his love, you're going to know him. So we see that it's God's spirit that strengthens us. God's love is complete. Let's, let's, let's close out chapter 3 here, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul concludes chapter 3 here with what's called a doxology. In other words, it's a song of praise. So imagine, imagine being in prison with him and he's writing this song like, you know, now to him who is, I don't know, maybe he was doing jazz. <laughs> but but he, was, he was giving a song of praise. Why do I say that? Because why? Here's why. He was in a, in a desperate situation. There is no guarantee he was getting out of house arrest in Rome. And yet he was giving a praise to God. He's saying now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Paul ends this half of Ephesians with the timeless role of the church. This is, we are in the church age. And so until he returns, this is what he's praying for. And he's saying now to him who can what? Do immeasurably more. Because when we get to, as we were talking about movement, our next series, it's talking about how the church is to live together to bring unity that God always intended. So again, we're talking about God, what he did, and now it'll be our part. Still God in it, but we realize now it's going to be for you and I to do together. Because again, this praise begins with now to him who is able. Who's able? Okay, that's an easy one. Okay, good. So who's able? God, all right. A couple of you got it. Okay, to do what? Immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. Right? But wait, there's more. So immeasurably more. And so God has the unlimited means to make these things happen. Now, remember, we have to, we're thinking on, not on a tangible material level. Now, that may happen, but what he's saying is now to him, it's all about God who can do immeasurably more. That's all about God, right? Than all we could ever ask or imagine. Can we make that up? Can we do that? No, it's all, it all points back to him. That's why Paul says this is where the praise has to go. Doesn't go to Paul. It doesn't go to the church. It goes to the one that makes it happen. And, and here's what he's talking about. He says, listen, to him who can do immeasurably more, look what God already did in the church here in Ephesus, people. He brought the Jewish people and the Gentile people together to create the church. Now, if God can do that, don't you think that he could do immeasurably more than that? I'm thinking, wow, he could? I mean, if he can bring different cultures together and different races and and all together, then, wow, what could he not do? What could he not do? But it's, we have to go to him in faith. Now, let me be clear about this, is that we have to go to him in faith, believing that what he wants for our lives is what we want for our lives. Make sense? It's what God wills for our lives. We talked last week, it's all part of the plan. 
It's not about just saying, oh, Lord, would you just give me, you know, all kinds of money? Would you just take away all my problems? Would you? He could do that, but then why would we need him? We're saying it's by faith because of what he wants. And this is, this is again, a work of his spirit in our lives. See, not only that is that God knows what we're going to ask before we even ask of it. And you may be thinking, then why do I got to ask? Well, we're to call out to him because that's what we do in relationship with the Father. You ever have a relationship that you don't stay connected? You don't have much of a relationship. So this is what we're, we're seeing here as Paul reminds the church. You keep calling out to him because he can do immeasurably more. That's how I pray for Norristown. God, would you do immeasurably more? God, would you, would you just take the people that we connect with and, and turn their lives upside down for your glory, for your name, for your renown? And it's, it's going to take time. Let's just do it together. Let's just keep asking for the strength that only he can give us so that we can endure, so that we can have the patience, so that one day we will see people who are disconnected from God come to life in Jesus. That's where it's at. And, and listen to what 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Didn't say this that you can lay back and take it easy. It says for every good work. Remember in Ephesians 2.10, it says you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Uh, God prepared work for you in advance to do. His work, not your work, not my work, but his work. That's what it's talking about here. So this is what we need to understand. Because when we understand how immeasurably more God can do for us, we will go to him with, with faith that says, I believe you can do it. And there's probably times in your life when you can look back, and, and if you're not sure if God can do the incredible, you just look back and say, God, I saw where you had me. You've brought me through that. You brought me through this, and now I can step in faith because I know you'll do it again. That's who our God is. That's what we're talking about measurably more, not the comfortable life, but the life is, that is in line with the purposes of God. That's what we're talking about. Because, again, if God can bring the church to existence, if God could bring something out of nothing when he created this world, if he could raise Christ from the dead, if it's through his power that he can make dead people alive, then you and I can know that what he wills for our lives is what is good because he can do it. Not you, not me, but we have to call out to our father, our heavenly father, because God is the one who is great. We started out in January. We said as a church, God put on my heart the verse in 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 Matthew 17, 5, where his, his apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Greater faith. It's not that we have this greater faith. It's that what? Is that God is greater than our circumstances. God is greater than our difficulties. God is greater than the things that we face and confront. But he says, we, we want him to increase that in us. We've been, we've been challenged to, are, are you praying big audacious prayers in your life? And so let's begin to do that because he is the one who can do immeasurably more. One of the things that we're praying for, we're talking about is starting a new life group in another part of Norristown. We're not only doing that, but we had a couple of us go out. We're, we're testing out, if you want to call it, a street team where we just go out and talk to people. We had an opportunity to go to a laundromat and hand out quarters and share the gospel and invite people to our lunch. We're also talking about... Um, not we talking about, but one of the things that we began doing as a church that God's put on my heart that we can begin to do again is have those nights of prayer again. 
just getting together and calling out to the Lord. And so this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about. Because again, if he's done it before, if he did it in Ephesus, don't you think he can do it here in Norristown today? Think about this. Think about the church for a second in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus had a birth date and it had an end date. The church in Ephesus is not around today in 2019. Did you know that 1010 has a birth date and one day we'll have an end date? But it's what we do in between. That's what we, we have to look at. What are we doing if God can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine? What are we going to do in between our birth date and our end date as a church? And so that's where I want to go. I want to go where he's going. I want to be a part of his work here in Norristown. I hope you want to go too. But here's what I love in verse 21. Paul is always sure to give God credit where the credit is due. He says what? To him be the glory. Not to Paul, but to God. To him be the glory. Where is the glory given? The glory is given in the church and in Christ Jesus. How long? Throughout all generations. All generations. You know, part of what we're doing here, my heart is to see other churches birth out of this. And, and who knows, you may be one of them who is a part of birthing another church here in the Norristown area. Because it's not about having a church, it's about seeing a movement of God here in Norristown and the surrounding areas. See, God's church will live out God's purposes through his spirit. That's the only way it's going to happen. Because if it's on my agenda, this church will fail. You realize that. So don't put your hope in me. <laughs> Put your hope in the one who can give you the hope that his name is Jesus. That's the hope that we find. And so the last thing we see in our notes is this, is that God deserves praise. God deserves praise. First Chronicles 29, 13 says, Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Is that, is that the rhythm of your life? Is your rhythm a rhythm of praise? Are you, when you wake up in the morning, are you saying, God, thank you that I just can even breathe this morning? Because I'm guilty. I'll pull my phone out real quick and see what the news is. <laughs> well, maybe just me. All right, I was just having confession time there. But what we're trying to say is that, is that at every turn, we can praise God. He's the one that's made all this possible. The second thing is, is that you have to begin to ask yourself, where does my allegiance lie? Is it for the kingdom of self or is it for the kingdom of God? Where does my allegiance lie? See, if, if you and I as followers of Christ are not pointing people to Jesus, then we need to really rethink who our affections lie, where they lie. Because my wife would always tell our students when we were in youth ministry, she said, listen, you're always going to worship something. And if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And why do I share that? Is that if God's the one who deserves our praise, you and I can begin to live a life of worship. We think worship is about the music, don't we, a lot of times. I don't like this kind of music. Why can't we have that? No, 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 stop, stop, stop. If you come to church and you're asked about that, Francis Chan, a pastor, always said, well, if you're complaining about the type of music, we didn't come to worship you today. All right, we came to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate Jesus with our lives. It's an act of worship. And so for you and I, we see that God's spirit strengthens. We see that God's love is complete. And we see that God deserves praise. 
So when we talk about this idea of at the core, I want to leave you with two things today for you to take away and to begin to, to seek the Lord and begin to say, God, what, what is it that you want of me when it comes to living my life for you and being a part of what we're doing here at 1010 in Norristown? The first is this in your notes, at the core, it's a matter of the heart. At the core, it's a matter of the heart. You and I, we, we too often get caught up on what we can get done and what we can do. And to be honest, like we miss out on what God wants to do with us from the inside out. Are you with me? And so at the core, it's a matter of the heart. What, what do you mean by that, Jeff? Psalm 139, beginning of verse 23, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a, that's a cry. If, if there's a prayer you're going to pray, it's saying, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Know me at my core being. If there's anything that is offending you, if there's anything that is rubbing you the wrong way, God, I want to make that right with you. I've already been made right with you through Christ, but I want that fellowship with you like I've had it. That's what the writer is saying here in the song. Know my heart. And he knows your heart. But again, it's having that relationship as you call out to him. And saying, search me. Search me, God. In other words, it's literally getting up on the operating table every day and allowing God to do open heart surgery. In other words, it's saying, God, I surrender whatever it is that's of me and not of you. And you need to do that work in my life. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes you may have to get some, some uh, heart, heart uh, core being adjusted have you ever had cast? I remember I was in a cast for three months. How uncomfortable that was. But sometimes it's a long process with God because he says, I'm going to do it right, but you got to go with me on this. Search my heart. Know me, God. You know me. Search me. You know, do, do you notice what the writer doesn't say? The writer doesn't say, well, if you just take a guess, God, like he, you have to give him permission. God's not going to work on you if you don't want it. Just like a, a doctor would rec require uh, recommend surgery, but he's not going to make you get on the table. It's a matter of the heart. The second is this, is at the core, keep the main thing the main thing. I don't know how else to put that, but I put it this way. Keep the main thing the main thing. I, I just need simple things, so there you go. Keep the main thing. And what do I mean by that? It, it, let's put it this way. You can tell people's priorities by the way they spend their time. My old pastor used to say, you show me your checkbook and I'll show you where your priorities lie. I was like, really? Whoa, okay. <laughs> but that's, that's what we're seeing here. Because whatever that looks like, we could go on and on and on about what that looks like, priorities and where we spend our time. But listen to what, Romans 12, 1 says here, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What are we saying here? Listen, this is easy for me to say, and it's hard for me to do, but we're going to say it. Put first things first. 
put first things first. What do I mean by that? The things that matter most to God should matter most to us. And we don't do that at times. I don't do that at times. In, in, the, in the years, we, we, we've been here almost three years now, and there's times I've had not had the right attitude. But when I begin to put first things first, when I keep the main thing the main thing, I begin to see the heart of God. And you will too. And that's, that's how my wife and I, we prayed. We said, God, you got you to gotta help us see the way you see. And even, even on Fridays, we, a couple of us went out as a street team. You know, we, we met people. We met some interesting people too at times. But what I'm trying to say is that's not a knock on anyone. That's just saying if I saw them how I perceived them, how I wanted to see them, there probably wouldn't have been a conversation. You know, that's going back to this community lunch. Community lunch is for not to us to get a spotlight. <laughs> it's for us to just let people know that there is a God who not only loves them, but desires relationship with them. And he showed his love once again on the cross and died for their sin so that they have an eternal hope, not just a simple meal. That's where it's at, keeping the main thing, the main thing. So, as you know, on your seats, there's invitations for that. There's invitations for the lunch. There's little cards that have Sundays at 2. And so I'm going to, who's your one? Who would you like to invite? Because I know Mike had shared we're going out next Saturday. This Saturday we are. But who's that one? Who's that one could, who, who you say, yo, they could use this? I know my one. And so that's what I want to challenge us with today. Who's your one? Grab those invites, take them with you. And, uh, you know, it's who you work with, who you, who, who's your neighbor. Maybe it's some of you who go to school. Who knows what that is? But who, who do you see could use that? You know, one of the things that I would say is that as we come to a close, that there's three things I've taken away from this study in Ephesians together. And it's this. It's that. In Christ, we're united. Through his spirit, we have strength. God alone gets the glory. Think about that for a second. Do you see the Trinity working there? It's been working throughout the whole, the whole series. Is God the Father, God the Son, God his spirit has been doing a work. He did the work in Ephesus and he'll do the work here. And so when I, when I see this unity there, I'm glad you're here today, but I, my heart is that every one of us has unity with Christ first. That's where it's at. And when we, we talk about the Trinity at work, we see the Trinity at work even when Christ gave his life for the world. God the Father sent his son to substitute us, what we deserved, and he took it on a cross. And wherever you are today with that, you know, whatever your life